Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever an impure spirit saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach, and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebul, by the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying, he has an impure spirit. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone to call him. A crowd, sit, a crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. The word of the Lord. Thanks very much, Kim, for reading the passage to us. Let me have my welcome to Pete. It's great to see you all here from both 11 a.m. and 4 p.m. services. Uh, great to have you here as we continue our series in the Gospel of Mark. We're on page 1004. Uh, please keep that open in front of you. And I'm going to pray for us before we look at it together. Father God, we thank you very much indeed that you are a speaking God and that you promise to speak to us and address each of us personally 
and intimately as we hear your Bible read to us and as we hear it preached to us. And so wherever we're coming from this morning, I pray, Father, that we'd meet your Son in the pages of Scripture, that we would hear his voice, that we would be with him, and that you would move our hearts, draw us closer to him, to follow him right today. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, today's passage is um, a challenging one for us, in many ways um, a surprising one for us. As those who you might think are close to Jesus end up in this passage far away from Jesus. And those who you assume, or they themselves might think, I don't have a chance with Jesus Christ, they end up much closer to him than they could possibly have imagined. Here is a passage about who is really in and who is really out when it comes to Jesus Christ. And what does it mean to be a genuine follower of Jesus Christ today? Now, I think that's a really important issue wherever we're coming from this morning. Even if you're someone here unsure about the existence of God, it's great to have you here. We always have people looking into Christian things. But even if you are unsure about the existence of God, 84% of the world's population profess to follow some form of God. And when it comes to Christianity, a third of the world's population, that is almost over 2.4 billion people, profess to follow Jesus Christ. And so if you really want to understand the world we live in today, well, we need to grapple with this idea of following God, and in particular, following Jesus Christ. Now, of course, for most of us here, we do profess to follow Jesus Christ. So it is vital we are clear on what Jesus means by that and what he expects from us. If people got it wrong back then, we can certainly get it equally wrong today. And it could be that for some of us, we think we're close to Jesus. When actually we are much further away than we realize. What does it mean to be a genuine follower of Jesus Christ today? Many people are leaving the church at the moment. Not because of a right understanding of who Jesus is and rejecting him but from a wrong and false assumption of what it means to follow him today. They do not know what Jesus is calling them to. And we need to make sure that we are clear ourselves. Now, the passage itself splits up into two sections, verses 7 to 19, the real follower of Jesus Christ, and verses 20 to 35, the real family of Jesus Christ. And what we're going to see is in both sections we see negative and positive examples, false followers and genuine followers, so that we can be absolutely clear where we stand on this issue and whether we are really in or really out when it comes to following Jesus. So that's where we're going. Let's take a look at the verses now. First, in verses 7 to 19, we see who the real follower of Jesus is. Verse 7. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. That is Galilee in the west. People flocking to Jesus from the west. But people are not just coming from there, if you look down at verse 8. 
When they heard all that he was doing, all these healings, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, that's from the south, and the regions across the Jordan, that is from the east, and from around Tyre and Sidon, that is from the north. Do you see people flocking to Jesus from all of Israel, from all four corners, from all four points of the compass? Flocking to Jesus Christ when they heard all he was doing. But does Jesus embrace them in verse 9? No, he does not. He gets into a boat, and a small boat at that, to keep the people from crowding him. Why is that? Well, Mark tells us in verse 10, for Jesus had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. What's going on here? Well, it seems that the crowds are only flocking to Jesus because of his healing powers. They've heard about what he's doing, how he's healing everyone, and they're coming to him and they're trying to touch him so they can be healed too. But if you've been following our series in the Gospel of Mark, you all know that Jesus is so much more than a healer. He is a saviour. As the, even the impure spirits put it in verse 11, you are the son of God. This is God's king, bringing God's kingdom. A kingdom where evil is driven out. A kingdom where sins are forgiven. A kingdom where relationship with God is restored. There is a massive difference between flocking to Jesus Christ because of what you want to get from him and following Jesus Christ because of who he is. The Son of God. The one with all power and authority. One who has that authority over every area of our lives. Genuine discipleship, a real follower of Jesus, says not what I want, Jesus, what you want. Wherever you go, I'll follow. Whatever you say, I'll obey. Is that you? Or are you only interested in Jesus because of what you want to get from him? Well, that's the negative example of the crowds in verses 7 to 11. The positive example comes with the 12 in verses 13 to 19. Jesus went up on a mountainside, just like Moses before him, and called to those he wanted. And they came to him. He appointed 12, just like the 12 tribes of Israel, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Now, there is so much richness in these two sentences, and I don't want you to miss it as I did first time round. Notice, first of all, that to be a follower of Jesus is to be wanted by Jesus. Did you see that? Jesus called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. Following Jesus does not start with us. It starts with him. He's the first mover. He takes the initiative. It's his intervention, his work on the cross, his movement of the Spirit in our lives. He calls. We follow. Um, I became a Christian in my final year at university. 
After I put my faith in Jesus Christ, I found out that the whole college Christian Union had been praying for me to follow Jesus, that most of the university mission team had been praying for that too for me. Um, I found out years later that my dad, who at the time, not a Christian, shot out an arrow prayer to God where I was very ill in hospital as a baby and was about to, well, they thought I was going to die. God, if you're there, please heal my boy, if for no other reason than to use him for your purposes. Jesus is at work, moving in our lives, way before we make any movement towards him. Now, that does not deny our responsibility. We still have to come to him. It does not deny our freedom. He does not force us to come to him. But it does affirm his absolute love of us and grace towards us that he would reach out to us even when we have no interest in him. Followers of Jesus are wanted by Jesus. Secondly, followers of Jesus are also to be with Jesus. Verse 14, he appointed 12. Literally in the original Greek, he made 12. This is Christ's work, what he is doing, what he does with us. He appointed 12. That what? That they might preach? That they might drive out demons? That's not what it says. Not first of all, anyway. He appointed 12 that they might be with him. Now, I don't know about you, but when it comes to discipleship, I'm so quick to jump to the things I think I need to do for Jesus. To preach, to teach, to speak about him, to speak of him. Maybe not to drive out demons, but certainly to work against evil in his world, to fight against injustices. But let's not forget those precious three words that come first. Be with him. That is the heart of discipleship. The heart of following Jesus Christ today, being with him. And being with him even when we are doing things for him. I feel that the Lord is really pressing this upon our hearts as a church. Certainly he's pressing it upon my heart at the moment. This vital aspect, this heart of discipleship, being with Jesus. Does your heart feel spiritually cold towards God now? Do you feel spiritually dry? Do you feel that something's not quite right, even though you are serving so much at church and you're so busy with doing things for the Lord? Is it because you have lost sight of the heart of following Jesus Christ, being with him. Let's remember, in case we have forgotten it or we've lost sight of it, that the risen Lord Jesus Christ is here with us now by his spirit. That as you heard the reading, as you hear this sermon, ultimately you are hearing the voice of God. As you eat the bread and wine, Later, you are feeding on him in your hearts by faith. As you sing, as you pray, it is to him that your words are going. It is so easy to come to church and not be with Jesus. Will you be with him? That's what he wants. 
And will you be with him, not just on Sundays, but throughout the week, 24-7? You know, one of the reasons why Kale has come up with this free resource on Bible reading and prayer, and you can pick it up. Here it is, so you know what it looks like. Grab one at the back. Is precisely so you and I can be helped to spend time with Jesus, to listen to him as we read the Bible, to talk to him in prayer. And one of our great aims as a church this year, from September through to summer, is to encourage and equip and enable every member of the church family here, 11 a.m. service, 4 p.m. service, is to be spending time with Jesus every day. Will you commit to that? Will you pray for that? Will you help us in that? It is the heart of discipleship. It is the heart of following Jesus Christ. Everything in life flows from this central thing. Being with Jesus Christ. And if anything I've just said in the last two minutes has made no sense to you at all, if you are confused by the idea of spending time with Jesus, how is it possible to spend time with someone who died 2,000 years ago? How can you spend time with someone you can't see? Please, please speak to someone afterwards. An Inspire Group leader, if you're in an Inspire Group, me and Pete, if you are not, this is the heart of discipleship, this is the heart of following Jesus Christ today. We want to help you with this. We want you to be with Jesus. But, you say, these are the 12 Mark is talking about. These are the special ones. It's different for the rest of us. Well, actually, what is interesting about Mark's gospel is the way he flattens out any notable distinction between an apostle and a disciple. The word apostle only comes up once in the entire gospel in chapter 6. The word disciple comes up 46 times. Because he's saying this is descriptive of every Christian believer, every follower of Jesus. No, we might not drive out demons in the same way today, but this was a unique time in salvation history when the Son of God had come to earth. But we're still called to fight against evil today. And no, we might not preach in the same way as the Twelve, although we are all still called to speak about Jesus today. But what we are all called to do, both apostle and disciple, is to be with Jesus Christ. That's what he wants from us, not just the 12. And finally, from this first point, just look at the sort of people Jesus calls to himself in verse 16. Look at this mixed bag of people. You've got Peter, a fisherman, uneducated. You've got James and John, who in the Gospel of Mark are uniquely called the sons of thunder. And some commentators think that's because of their thunderous temper. Uh, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, common names. Matthew, Levi from before, a tax collector, hated at the time. Thomas, with all his doubts, James, Thaddeus, ordinary, run-of-the-mill guy, Simon the Zealot, an extremist, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Now, that is not a promising bunch of people. And yet, Jesus Christ changed the world through them. Are you someone here who feels out of place at church? I'm not educated enough, I'm not nice enough, I'm not gifted enough. I'm too sinful. I have too many doubts. 
Never ever think that. Look at these 12. You fit right in. We all do. And if you're someone here looking into Christian things, I hope you can see there's no such thing as a perfect follower of Jesus Christ. There's no such thing as a perfect church. If you joined it, you would spoil it. And yet Jesus Christ continues to work out his purposes through us. So that's the first thing to see, who the real follower of Jesus is. Second thing to see from verses 20 to 35 is who the real family of Jesus is. That is, who really belongs to Jesus? Who has the close, intimate bond with Jesus Christ? It's not who you think it would be. It's not not those who know him best, his family. They think Jesus is out of his mind. It's not the religious professionals who think Jesus is evil. No, it is anyone, anyone who does God's will. Now, why is that? What does it mean to do God's will? Let's find out. First, a word on structure in this part, verses 20 to 35, uh, because this is an example of a literary device that Mark uses often in his gospel, where he sandwiches one story with another story in the middle. Does this a lot. One story, the first story, the bread of the sandwich, so to speak, is Jesus with his family. And you'll notice he sandwiches in this other story in the middle of it. It's a little bit strange. Why does he do that? With this dialogue between Jesus and the religious authorities. And obviously Mark's doing it to make a point, to draw a link between the two. We need to work out what is it. The key to the understanding it is in the meat, is in the middle. This dialogue between Jesus and the teachers of the law. So let's start there and then we'll work our way out. Verse 22. And the teacher of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, Jesus is possessed by Beelzebul, another name for Satan. By the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Now, a couple of preliminary comments here. Notice that the teacher of the law do not deny the miracle here. They do not deny that Jesus is driving out demons. They deny that the power comes from God. If you are someone here looking into Christian things, I wonder what you make of the fact that no one ever denies the miracles of Jesus. We have never seen anything like this. Who is this man? Even the wind and waves obey him. Oh yeah, he's doing all these things. He's doing it by the power of Satan. I mean, if they could have denied the miracles, that would have been a much easier route to take than the one they go down here. But they can't. No one can. What do you make of that? Secondly, note the assumption here that the devil is real. Not the sort of characters we see on TV, red, horns, pointed tail, none of that nonsense but a real, personal force of evil. If you're someone here from an African background, you'll have no problem believing in the reality of the devil. Actually, perhaps for you, your danger is to take him too seriously. The problem for us here in this country is we don't take him seriously enough at all. And yet, if we really want to understand the news we see on our screens, the darkness there is out there, the depths of evil, in this world, we need to engage with the reality of the devil. He is real, he is personal, he is dangerous. But he is nothing compared to Jesus Christ. Verse 23. How can Satan drive out Satan? 
If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. Imagine sawing off the branch you are sitting on. Imagine trying to sue yourself. Imagine a country waging war upon itself. It would be ridiculous. Well, how ridiculous is it, therefore, to say that Jesus is driving out demons by demons? Demons are evil. Jesus is doing good. Evil does not drive out evil. Evil is only overcome by good. In fact, Jesus says, verse 27, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. And that is a picture of what is going on here. Satan is a strong man, no doubt. He is a real, personal, dangerous force of evil. But Jesus is the stronger one. He is the stronger man who can tie up the devil and set people free and forgive people their sins. Jesus is not colluding with evil. He's conquering evil. Jesus is not possessed by the devil. He's plundering the devil. He's God's king. God's kingdom is here. Light into darkness. Good overcoming evil. Driving out demons. Sins forgiven. Relationship with God restored. That is what is going on here. And so verse 28, truly I tell you, you can be absolutely sure of this, Jesus says, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. What an assurance for any of us here who think we don't stand a chance with God that things have gone too far with God, that there is no way back. Do you hear what Jesus is saying here? Every sin, all sin, can be forgiven. Now the strong man, God's king, the son of God, is here. But Mark, you don't know what I've done. No, I don't, but God does. And he says, come to him and he will forgive you. He will set you free. But I mucked around with Ouija board and stuff like that when I was younger and I feel I'm cursed. I had an abortion and I just can't forgive myself. I was abused as a child, and now I've become the abuser. All their sins. Every sin. No matter how bad, no matter how serious you think it is, no matter the guilt and shame you have. The strong man is here. God's king is here. The son of God. Forgiveness of sin. Set free. Relationship with God restored. But, verse 29, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. And despite the wonderful assurance we've just been given in verse 28, how many of you now are worried that you have committed the unforgivable sin? Have I done it? Is it me? Look, if you are trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, you have not committed it. I'll tell you why. Look at the very next verse. Jesus said this because they were saying he has an impure spirit. That's the unforgivable sin, saying Jesus is evil, that he has an evil spirit, that the good he's doing is evil. Do you think Jesus is evil? If you don't, you've not committed it. But if, like the teacher of the law, you refuse to acknowledge the good thing Jesus is doing, if, like the teacher of the law, you refuse to come to this strong man who is setting people free, who is forgiving people their sins, if you refuse that, if you deny that, if you reject Jesus, like the teacher of the law are doing here, 
Well, then, yes. You are cutting yourself up from the one person who can forgive your sin. And you are walking down a path of ultimate no return and being guilty of an eternal sin at the end of your life. So, why does Mark sandwich this story in the middle of this other story about Jesus and his family? Well, let's take a look at Jesus' family and what they're doing in verses 20 to 21. Then Jesus entered the house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, as if you can take charge of the Son of God. For they said, he is out of his mind. In other words, Jesus' family are rejecting Jesus too at this point in the gospel. Note they are not calling him evil. It is nothing as strong as that. But they are still trying to take charge of him. They still think that they know best for him. And Mark sandwiches these two stories together to show this is just as dangerous a position to be in as the teachers of the law. And that is why Jesus warns them in verses 31 to 35 about his real family. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asks in verse 33. Then, verse 34, Jesus looked at those seated in a circle round him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. If you are someone here who thinks they are close to Jesus, only because you were baptized as a child, you grew up in a Christian home, you were confirmed in your teenage years, because you come to church, because you give to charity, because of your good deeds, please, please, will you think about it again? There was no one closer to Jesus, humanly speaking, than his own mother, Mary. And even she needs to bow the knee before her own son and say, you are the son of God. I no longer try and take charge of you. You please take charge of me. Set me free. Forgive my sin. Restore my relationship with God. You can never be part of the family of God until you have done that. And if you are someone here who think you are far away from Jesus because of all you've done, all your shame and guilt, the life you have lived, please, please would you take hope from this passage because you are much closer to Jesus than you think. I mean, anyone can sit at Jesus' feet. Anyone can learn from him. Anyone can say, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. I'm trapped. Set me free. I'm lost. Please take charge of my life. Have you done that? Because that is what it means to be a genuine follower of Jesus Christ. Where are you? Are you seated on the inside at Jesus' feet? Or are you still on the outside? I hope we are all genuinely following Jesus Christ today. Let me pray for us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you very much for the challenge of this passage 
and in many ways the surprising nature of this passage. But you want us to be clear on what it means to be a genuine follower of Jesus, who's really in, who's really out. Please would we be those who recognize you as the strongest man of all, the Son of God, your King, bring in your kingdom, a kingdom of forgiveness of sins, of evil being driven out, of relationship with you restored. Please move our hearts to listen to you, to be with you, to sit beside you and shape the entirety of our lives by your will. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.